Here we go. You're listening to Sounds Good, the podcast that makes your sounds sound good. Welcome to a new episode of Sounds Good. It took us quite a while to get this episode online, but here it is, an extra long episode about composing music. Mark had an interview with composer Mike Jackson from Mills James Productions. Learn some great inside information from this veteran composer, who explains things like composing for commercial productions and why he favors logic for his songwriting. We'll also listen to one of the best Loopmasters download packs recently released called Garage and Baseline Essentials. There'll be a random Logic Studio tip and my own segment on a beautiful composition program called Harmony Navigator by Cognitone. But let us start with the interview Mark Abrams had with composer Mike Jackson. All right, so I'm sitting here with Mike Jackson, who is the composer where we work at Mills James Productions. And uh, we're just gonna be asking you a bunch of questions about music composition, Mike. Sure. Uh, Okay, Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on yourself? Uh, My background actually begins way back in, um, I think maybe the third or fourth grade, my brother brought home a snare drum. And uh, I remember him playing around with it and uh, he didn't seem to do too well with it and I just kind of instantly fell in love with the noise and how loud it was and how I could get away with hitting it and and being really loud (laughs) so uh, uh, after he kind of gave up on it I I took it over and uh, I think maybe the started in fifth grade playing snare drum or something like that so then middle in middle school I played in uh, you know your middle school band orchestra doing snare drum and percussion things like that in junior high is when I started first started taking guitar lessons um, and all this time you know grew up listening to lots of different music had a lot of older brothers and so we were always listening to everything from Springsteen to the Beatles to some new wave stuff that my old older brothers would bring home you know like split ends and the police and you know stuff like that um, so then getting into high school I just started putting a band together and uh, we just started writing our own material, and whenever we got the opportunity, we'd play, you know, like skating rinks and, and uh, talent shows, that kind of thing. And then eventually, as soon as uh, we got a personnel member with some money, we went into the studio and recorded. Um, you know, <laughs> Pre-screen like on them for their bank account. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fun. So, uh, original bands, that kind of thing, that went on for a few years. And so I always knew I wanted to do something with music and that's kind of one reason I never went to college. Uh, I just said, you know, I don't need to go to college. I'm, I'm going to be in a band, or I'm going to be touring, or I'm going to be doing something related to music. Boy, was I stupid. But um, <laughs> no, but I have been lucky enough, as we'll get to. We'll get to that. But um, so always playing in bands and uh, trying to immerse myself as much as I could and learn from other people just by watching. And a lot of how I learned to play is was literally by watching other people play. You know, just like TV, and you know, you you look at how they hold the guitar, how they do their hands, just imitating mm. a lot. And I'm sure it's that way for a lot of players. I was more of an ear player, so you you combine the ear um, with the imitation, and you wind up playing riffs that other people play, and then you kind of branch out from there and you add your own things to it. 
So you had a little bit of like formal training with a guitar teacher. And yeah, also there was just a little formal training, and then the rest was pretty much self-taught. Mm -hmm. High school, I, I did go to a performing arts school for half of the day for my last two years of high school. It was a really great school. A lot of uh, great players there, and once again, you know, watching them and seeing how they do what they do, I learned more from that than I did, say, the theory classes mm -hmm. and uh, and some of the other classes that they had. Not that they sure. weren't good. It's just I just wasn't geared that way. Awesome. So uh, for anybody who wants to scour the internet looking for your band, what oh. was the name of your old oh. band? Oh God, <laughs> uh, Fallout was okay. the name of the band. Mm -hmm. um, one of the earlier names was Storm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Bad. Bad. That was a skating rink name only. It didn't last long. It actually, maybe in a talent show too. Uh, Storm and Fallout, and then the later years it was Major Coup. So that was uh, a lot of the earlier years and, and through high school and everything. And uh, what what brought you from uh, your experience with bands and, and working with other people and just deciding like. I want to do music as a profession and, and make this my career. There was a local production company that a friend was doing graphics for. I lived with him for a little while and uh, I just remember hearing about where he worked and it just sounded really cool and I thought at the time I was working for a data processing company doing banking research. Although I knew it was a goal and I wanted to get there, didn't quite know how to get there. But it was really kind of that relationship aspect that you hear about a lot. Well, it's who you know. Um, it wasn't that, um, you know, just because I knew this guy, I got the job. It was more of I knew him, and an opportunity came up to just start on the ground floor at this production company. It just started out in the tape room. You know, it wasn't music. They didn't even have an audio department at the time, but I was just dying to... It, it seemed like the next logical step for me. Um, just well, kind of getting into, like, a media company and... Yeah, short of packing up my bags and moving to another state, say Nashville or L.A. or New York or something like that, it seemed like the next logical step for me. Okay. For, for right here within Columbus, Ohio, to be able to get into a job in uh, the production arena, even though they didn't have their own audio department, I could see that it was heading that path, and I kind of wanted to be there uh, when that happened. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about... Um Music composition, kind of as a profession. Uh, what are some of the opportunities that are that are out there for music composers? There's tons of opportunities for music. Uh, everything from like a commercial to things that you don't normally think of, like um, you know, you're walking around at your your local zoo or something. You know, and there's music playing in, in an environment. You walk in this room, and all of a sudden you hear music playing. The music has to come from somewhere. Someone is making that music, and I think it's just a matter of looking around and, and trying to find the holes, then you have an opportunity to write original music for that. Someone has to do it, and it could be you. There may even be opportunities that no one has even thought of yet. Okay. Uh, it's just an issue of keeping your eyes and ears open. So are there, uh, are there companies that, that specialize solely in music composition out there? Uh, there are companies that produce libraries of music, which typically is a collection of independent composers. So you could you could have your studio in your home, and as long as you're able to put out a disc in a reasonable amount of time, you know uh, you can find yourself being represented by one of these major libraries. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then the library's job is to go to production facilities, uh, music supervisors in the film industry and television, and they pitch their libraries to all of those folks. And so your, your music can wind up in a number of different places, you know, some of the places like I mentioned. It can really go anywhere. There are many companies that just specialize in creating commercial music, music for jingles, uh, music specifically for movie trailers. There's a lot of niches you can get into with music. It's not just doing music for a library service. You can solely do it for demo writing for songwriters. You know, like in, down in Nashville, I have some friends that work down there, and that's all they do is they take someone's song and they, they just flesh it out with the instrumentation before that gets presented to, say, Sony or something like that. Or uh, Can you talk about a project, uh, say, from kind of, I guess, just start to finish, like Inception, the, like how the, how the client approached you and what some of the challenges were and figuring out what they were looking for in the piece? Uh, typically what happens is a producer will come to me or an agency, an outside agency, will approach us about, you know, shooting a... A commercial spot or an industrial video. The first thing I do is ask them, you know, who the audience is. What is the what is the product that they're selling or the the um, event all about? If there's an event and this music is going to support it, you know, what is it about? Is it uh, cancer awareness or is it is it a commercial about tires or I kind I get to know the subject matter. You know what it is who it's geared towards, who the audience is. So in a lot of ways, you kind of have to look at it from a marketing standpoint and say, you know, like what's the demographic that they're going after? And yeah. Are they going to be younger yeah. or older? Or? I ask a lot of the who, what, why, when, where questions. You know, things like that. Sometimes they come with an actual vision, like, well, we want it to sound just like blank, you know, a certain song that already exists, which makes it a little easier for me because it narrows my the palette down for, say, sound choices. And in the other case, when it's completely from scratch, the research that I do helps me narrow in and decide which route I'm going to go in terms of instrumentation and tempo and and what I'm going for. Because I'm not going to I'm not going to do some speed metal piece that you would do say for a car tire you know i wouldn't do that kind of track for a nursing home or something like sure. that obviously <laughs> you know what i'm saying right so uh, the audience means a lot okay so uh once they approach you and you kind of get all that stuff figured out um yeah, let's talk about step. the fun the fun process like okay. actually sitting down and carving out ideas like then i just pretty much sit down and um just kind of start letting the juices flow you know i'll <laughs> The way I like to work is just to let things roll. Let all this stuff come out and don't even worry about editing, you know, because a lot of times the, the some of the first impressions I have usually end up being what I end up going with in the end. So don't underestimate the first impressions that you have about something. You usually just determine, like, what instrument you want to write on by the by what kind of style the, the client's looking for? I'll just start picking the most appropriate instrument for the style, and I'll just start messing around with that just to see what comes out. Sure. If it's an area I don't know a lot about, I'll have to do some research. I, I like to do research before I even sit down and do any notes, actually. I just kind of like to get in the space of, let's say, a particular instrument or a culture, that kind of thing. You know, if it's some kind of Eastern Bloc <laughs> kind of Russian kind of thing or whatever, I, I'll, just, I'll, I'll literally just go to the web and start reading about instruments, reading about their folk music, that kind of thing, just so I can understand 
um, more about how they do music, why they do music, what it's like. And then I'll listen to, like, say, the old music uh, that has originated from that region or something as much as I can. And with a web, you can do a lot of that nowadays. As well as the new pop music. What is their What does their pop music sound like today? That way I kind of have a range of how they've taken these old classic instruments and use them in pop music. That just helps me when I sit down and, and start spitting stuff out. Sometimes when you're studying something, you, you got this whole giant iceberg of information, or it's this huge thing. But in the end, um, all people see is really just the tip. And what's underneath the water is everything, that all the research that you've done. But it's all kind of helps support that little bit that people see. And it, for me, it, it helps me feel good about what I'm doing. Because, I've one, I've learned about another culture and learned more about music history. And, and uh, so I'm growing in that respect. And I'm also not doing something, I'm not creating something that is too far off base. Um, from the style. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, sure. It just helps me feel better about trying to imitate a style. Right. You, know? you have to learn about research, it, you know. Yeah. And, and a lot of times you're called on that. Say a good example is, you know, there's a hospital in West Virginia. Okay. Do you do you play up the country aspect since it is? Sure. Yeah. You know, or do you play away from it? You don't want to patronize. You want to find appropriate boundaries and a way to represent something that is a, a local country accessible hospital without insulting them without right you know what i mean without playing into stereotypes there's yeah so the research can save your butt yeah the demographic is probably really important with uh the corporate kind of yes correct right dealing with the advertising agencies so yeah keeping keeping current on a lot of different styles of music is is really probably a large part of your job and just making sure like even just knowing what's going on with pop music because yeah. you could have somebody come to you and say i want to have a hip-hop piece but obviously like hip-hop even five years ago sounds different than it does now so yeah you're right can you give us an example of a, a client approaching you and saying you know we want this, this style of music what's a what's an example that you've dealt with recently the ohio lottery is a good example of that uh, Mills James was producing the game show for them, their their game show. So we're coming up with a whole graphic package, you know, game design, gameplay, everything top to bottom uh, for the Ohio Lottery to create this new game. And so the first place I started was sitting in on some meetings, uh, some creative meetings for how they wanted this game to look and how they wanted it to play and kind of what the environment they wanted to be like as people were playing it. So as I start kind of listening to this stuff and, and they start coming up with visual images, well, I remember sitting in the creative meetings for the show and we got a chance to sample the game and play it. And uh, it fe felt like a poker game to me. And so there was that the fun aspect of, you know, where you're waiting to find out what the next card is and then everyone reacts to, you know, just that, that the interplay in, in a poker game. So what came to my mind is kind of like a Rat Pack kind of feel, which is where it's kind of kind of hammy swing music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's let's listen to a little bit of that right now. Bought my lucky ticket. It's time to go. Walking the red carpet. I'm ready for the show. Lights, camera, action. I've found my niche. Make me famous, make me rich 
Yes. Go. So you can hear the you can hear the swing thing going on in there. Had you had a lot of experience like playing playing jazz or swing before that? I I played drums and jazz band in high school, mm. but I pretty much usually made up my own parts. Yeah. So I, I mean, yeah. I'd be able to do the swing, but mm. I wasn't excellent at all the hits and things like that. But I was well enough to usually be the the first one they would call to play. Mm-hmm. You know, on drums, that kind of thing, sure. because of, because of the imitation, uh, like mm-hmm. I was saying, where you're watching people and you, you're creating a vibe, you're 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 setting a mood for mm-hmm. something, and, and part of that is is for me is imitating, imitating what I've seen and heard. Sure. Know? Yeah. Um, so with that piece, I actually got some additional help from a from a horn arranger. Like I I wrote all the music and even came up with what I thought would work as as a horn part and then but then I gave it to a horn arranger just to see if it was if it was even reasonable for horn players to play for one and to, to make it more realistic and to see if there was a way it could be beefed up you know what would a real trombone player do here you know this is my my idea of what they would do but but it, but the good news was it wasn't too far off you know sure. the research that I had done and the music selections that I had picked to listen to for references um, really kind of guided me down a certain path and that's what led me to write what I wrote. And so how about like the first the first couple of writing sessions for that? Like when you when you sat down and said I need to create the swing piece, mm-hmm. and you had kind of done all your research. Did you sit down? Like do you remember what what say I guess instrument you started mm-hmm. on for that particular piece? Or I think for that I just started out with a piano. Oh, nice. I just was just like um, trying to come up with a melody for, for a song like that. Since I knew it was a game show and there was going to be lyrics. I, the main thing I was trying to come up with was a melody, mm-hmm. you know, something that's gonna, that they're gonna be walking away humming or singing, you know. I mean, I knew it would be a swing beat that would go along with it, so I didn't waste time trying to lay that down. Huh. I would okay. just kind of let all these melodies come out, you know, hit the record button and just let all these melodies come out and mm-hmm. see what, see what uh, stood out. Mm. Neat. Okay, so I guess when I think about. Uh, writing a song, like, did you write out a skeleton of it? Like, what's my chord progression going to be? And, you know, there's going to be, this song needs to be, you know, 60 seconds long or something, so do I have time for a verse, a chorus, and a bridge? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, how did you go about that? Um, well, for this, I knew I had about maybe 20 seconds. Hmm. So you just played a really, really fast tempo then to fit everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's 40 bars yeah. uh, at 200 beats now. No, I knew that uh, needed some kind of intro, some quick hook to get you in. Mm-hmm. But then from there, uh, the melody dictated what chords I put underneath. Uh, but I and, and I tried to keep it simple as well. I mean, it's pretty basic mm-hmm. in the chord progression because you know a lot of a lot of good tunes are very basic. I didn't want it to be too convoluted. I wanted it to be accessible and not. Um, yeah, there's only so much time, and so I didn't want to fill it with tons of chord changes, you know what I mean? I wanted more of a simple support structure for the melody that was there. I didn't want to be like changing chord, 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 mm-hmm. chord, so you never had a sense. I just wanted to keep the, the base of it very simple, so the melody's what st- stands out the most. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Really? Okay, so once you once you figure all that out and you get your basic melody uh, down at that point, uh, you know, you, you kind of probably had in your mind like I want to call in these session players and find some musicians that are really good at the specific instruments mm-hmm. so uh, you're laying down a lot of stuff like with, just with samples and everything mm-hmm. to kind of get the melodies out yeah was there a demoing process for the lottery I guess is it? yes 
once the, the, the melody and the chords were done, and I was kind of happy with the general flow of the melody and the chord structure, then actually zoned in a little bit more and then start, started uh, refining you know, the length of it, uh, how long to hold out certain notes, that kind of thing. So that's where I started up and down on a MIDI kit and triggering drum samples. Just doing a basic swing part and, and a, you know, a fast walking bass line to just start building up the demo a little bit more so when the client comes to check it out, they don't have to imagine a whole lot. Mm. A lot of it's there. Because at this point, there's still no recorded vocal melody yet. I'm still just laying out the, the basic demo. Once the client came and listened to that and signed off on that basic layer there, then I was able to go the next step farther and actually have someone come in and do a scratch vocal so I could actually have a real voice in there and then find out if this person's voice was going to interfere as I started to flesh out the horns and, and uh, other instrumentation, I wanted to make sure that that doesn't get in the way of the voice. You know, I want to make sure the voice is still sitting on top and the other instruments aren't, aren't crowding it uh, sonically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the next step. Then once that step was tracked, I, I contacted a, a horn arranger, brought him in to take a look at what I had come up with for the various horn parts. Just you know, just to get some feedback to let me know I'm in the right ballpark for these instruments and and that it's realistic, like it's a realistic part. I'm not demanding too much of a trumpet player by jumping notes too far or too fast or things like that. And uh, and it was reassuring because he he came in and 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 uh, he actually liked what was there, but also found a way to to add more to it, which was good. Um, which told me, kind of reaffirmed that that the research that I had done beforehand kind of led me to a good place. What's the step after the client, or the, you know, in this case the lottery says, yeah, that song sounds good, let's let's mm-hmm. make it a production. Um, what do you do at that point? Do you start from scratch? Or do well, you start building on that demo even more and replacing things? Or? The next step after that was actually getting a hold of players to come in and, and play on the track, which fortunately, since the horn arranger I used, he was able to contact some really good players who he knew would be able to deliver, you know, come in and work really quick, and they would get the point and the gist of, of what we were doing with the song. And we booked a session, they came in, and we just did um, actually several different passes. You know, we started with the original part that was written there. You know, we did like maybe two or three takes of that. And then after that, we go back and do it again, and I just say, you know, do whatever you want. You know, you just react to the music that you're hearing. and. Uh, and just to see what would happen, you know. So just kind of built from there, and uh, you finish up after you had worked with the horn arranger. You had, you had uh, all that finished, and then did you uh, screen a couple different vocalists, or? Yeah. So once we had the horns all done, at that point it was time to focus back on the vocals again and start looking for the final vocalists that would be used in the finished piece. And uh, we had a lot of. A lot of different auditions, a lot of different people come through, and uh, we would just bring them in the studio. And uh, whoever's in the building, actually, sometimes we, there would be someone in the building who was there for a separate project altogether. I remember this piano player; he was in shooting for another video altogether, and I was like, "Ah, oh, you know, maybe we should grab him because hmm. uh, he he's, he plays out around town like constantly. He sings. Hmm. Um, he could, he could be right for it, so let's." grab him. So we brought him in and he did a demo and he was in there in the line with probably 
I don't know, eight or nine other people. And uh, so from that point, it was just an issue of, you know, A, B, and them all, you know, listening to them back to back, seeing which voice sat with the, the horns. And that was somewhat a little bit more of a committee thing where we bring the client in. So you had your, your vocal approved by the, <laughs> the client. You finally found your singer. From that point, we just finish the track, cleaning up edits, uh, the mixing begins, and, and then there's kind of a round of, uh, of approval once the mixing begins as well. You do a mix and you kind of send it out to different people for them to listen to, see if they like it. If not, make some revisions, you mm -hmm. go through another round and you send it out, that kind of thing. And sometimes you don't change everything. They'll say, well, I kind of like to hear this a little bit more. And maybe they don't quite understand as you do because you've mm -hmm. done the research or you're more familiar with it than they are. Sometimes you can accommodate them, sometimes not. It's like, well, does, does the, the ride symbol have to be so tinny? And it's just, mm -hmm. there's no bass drum, you know? It's like, well, it's not a pop song. It's not rock song. Mm -hmm. a rock, you're not going to hear boom, 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 boom through the yeah. whole song. It's just, you know, in jazz, the bass drum is used a lot differently. Right. You know, there's only so much you can accommodate them. But that is, that is tricky, learning how to deal with requests like that mm -hmm. discreetly. There's, there's a lot of it, like, especially in the way that that you work just like dealing with what the client's asking for and you know sort of separating like maybe separating some of your own personable or personal like convictions I guess towards yes. some of that stuff and so that's that's definitely like a, a needed skill <laughs> like yes. just being able to say like you know and I yeah I think a key thing in all of that is is learning how to speak and and listen in the language that the client speaks you know what I mean mm -hmm. like I can't you can't always sit there and say, well, I think what would be good here is a series of 16 notes real fast and then go to a, sure, yeah. a Dorian mode or something like that. Right. You know, it's learning to speak their language, like emotional language. Like, well, I want it to be really tense here and then go to something real bright or whatever. And sometimes people say words that um, in your mind communicate one thing, mm. but in their mind it means something else altogether. So you got to get those, those palettes straight, you know. So that kind of happens in the beginning when you're figuring out the audience and hmm, so neat. but that is very important to be able to communicate to them and not talk down to them to the client you know via in music speak because in the end it's about connection mm -hmm. you know so you have to learn how to communicate yeah i can imagine that'd be a barrier that's i mean a lot of listeners of the podcast are um, probably there's probably a lot of audio engineers that that listen to it and you know that they have to deal with recording bands and even the communication gap between somebody who works in music all the time and a musician, like they can be on completely different wavelengths. So when you start talking about like yeah. an ad agency that doesn't necessarily understand music, like that has to be a barrier as well. You're right, it is. So what are some of your favorite tools when you're composing? Like what's, uh, what's in your setup? Uh, well, first I'd say my favorite, most essential tool would be chips and salsa. <laughs> the main tool for me would be a guitar um, because sometimes I'll hear something in my head and the quickest way for me to get a melody out that's kind of like first thing that you started with yeah yeah that was my first instrument growing up that and drums and so that's kind of what I gravitate to when I want to actually get somewhere yeah. you know as soon as I, if I get into a software program I instantly get distracted because of all the options so when I sit down and I and I have something and I want to move forward with it and take it farther, I just grab my guitar or drums or something and just start imagining 
or kind of somewhat singing what's in my head and that helps me go farther so that really is my favorite tools my most favorite tools actually because I've gotten a lot farther using that than I have other items if that makes sense yeah, yeah. I get very distracted by too many options mm-hmm. yeah. so in that respect that's why it's a favorite what's in your setup well uh, in, in the center of all of it is Logic Pro uh, I just switched to it probably about actually two or three years ago uh, from from digital performer and uh, I really like it it, uh, it visually it's appealing to me I'm, I'm a very visual type person you know like being able to have all these colors distinguishing different sections of the music or intro things like that just for me that, that it's appealing when I when I look up at the screen I want to be able to I use color to kind of tell me where I'm at in the song other than you know markers or something like that mm-hmm. um, so that's at the center logics there then really I mean it's such a powerful piece of software and the EXS samplers are awesome um, I sampled a bunch of old synths and so I pretty much have those on file now like on a drive basically all these old modules that used to sit in the room like the Korg Triton and the and uh, 20, Roland 2080, some, some things that were staples for a long while, I just sampled them uh, using Auto Sampler by Redmatica. And uh, so I have all those sounds still available to me. Um, and uh, EXS is very, very efficient and uh, very powerful. So that makes Logic pretty powerful for me, being able to trigger synths as well as use all these samples. And, and I have other libraries like the uh, Vienna Symphonic instrument um, for doing orchestral work and then out from there I have a couple different ways of getting input into the system you know I have a standard 88 controller just you know nothing too elaborate M audio makes great stuff you know for the money you, you cannot beat it mm-hmm. I think uh, I just have the pro 88 keys mm-hmm. I also have a trigger finger which is awesome uh, being able to crank out some beats right in front of me or rhythm or whatever or bass line or, or whatever mm-hmm. and another way is uh, like some roll and V drums sometimes I have a chance to work with those that's another way of you know getting a beat in get a rhythm into the system mm-hmm. so other than that it's live players mm-hmm. you know I'll set up a mic and play guitar or, um, or call someone else in to play that kind of thing so it's pretty much your your quintessential modern electronic composing setup yeah you know but yet you know i can do live instrumentation as well mm-hmm. so yeah it sounds like it's all easily accessible and, yeah you know like switching over for different keyboards and everything yes that's cool so moving on what are some styles that you've had to compose in the past most recently i had to uh for a project i had to do a salsa piece i had to do a waltz a traditional waltz as well as like a country line dance, uh, some orchestral like movie trailer style music as well. You know, real heavy, intense. Um, that's called on quite a bit. What are some of your favorite styles to do? I got all those. That, that's a tough one because I love I love getting into the space of each particular style. Under, like understanding the vocabulary of a particular style. Um, it's just very rewarding to me. Hmm. So it's it's hard to answer that. I don't know. I, I really love dramatic type stuff, mm-hmm. um, stuff that just really plays on your emotions, that kind of thing. You know, enhances a 
a scene or something. Um, I prefer that better than, say, a pop song. But, mm-hmm. but that's not to undermine a pop song because that's has its own set of rules, and I, I love that as well. But first choice would be, you know, film composing, where you're using the sound to really enhance what's going on in the picture there and to help tell the story. Cool. Do you have any uh, any tips that you would give to an aspiring composer? I would say um, do not let the tools get in the way. Hmm. That's one thing I've had to deal with quite a bit. Like, There's so many software programs out there, so many plugins. You know, advertising just constantly bombarding you with, you can do this, you can, you know, you can, you can, you can edit on a laptop, or you can edit on an airplane, and you can do this, and you can do that, and all so much is centered around technology, but really at the heart of it, it's all about what do you, what do you have to say, you know, what do you have to communicate, Uh, whether it's whether it's a lyric or, or whatever, you know, or musically, that's really at the core. If you don't have that, you don't, you have nothing. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's. For me, music is, that's what it is about. It's about communication. And, uh, and there, there are tons of great programs that will help you get your stuff down, but uh, just don't lose sight of that main message or thing that you're trying to create. That's cool. Awesome. Well, yeah, um, it's been really cool having you, Mike. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, to thanks for having me. Yeah. So do you have do you have a website that people can check you out at? Yeah, you can go to MikeJacksonMusic.com, and uh, there's a demo up there. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks again, Mike. No problem. I appreciate it. It's been great to be able to speak on Sounds Good. Hey, this is Angie B., vocalist of Love Spirals and hostess of The Chill Cast and The Chill Cast Video Edition. Each week, the Chillcast brings you a sophisticated mix of pod-safe electronica, world beat, smooth jazz, and soulful pop music that's just right for chillin'. Plus, weekly music videos, monthly CD contests, extended DJ mixes on holidays, and the occasional artist feature. Plus, many specially cleared artists. Some say I'm the queen of chill, and many say I have the sexiest voice in podcasting but I'll let you be the judge. So come kick back, relax, let me soothe you and groove you on the Chill Cast. Come check it all out at my official site at AngieB.com. See you there. It's my pleasure to introduce you to an extremely useful composition tool called Harmony Navigator. This program is being developed by a company called Cognitone and it's available for both Windows and OS X. In one sentence, Harmony Navigator lets you explore chord progressions. It's an intelligent tool that lets you easily move from one chord to the other in a meaningful fashion. But it doesn't restrict you to simple 1, 4, 5 kind of progressions. Depending on your experience or your sense of adventure, you can create very complex and innovative chord progressions. Let's take a look together. When we start Harmony Navigator, we see a window that displays a diatonic scale with scale degrees 1 to 7 in the middle. Which scale we see depends on the scale chosen in a separate window, the circle of fifths. When we choose for instance D flat major, we see how the main window displays the D flat major scale. We can click the scale notes and hear them. 
When we pick a minor scale, Harmony Navigator displays the appropriate natural, harmonic and melodic minor scales. Now for the fun part. Let's click on one of the chords. Harmony Navigator immediately starts playing. From here we can click on every visible chord to move to a new chord in our progression and hear how it sounds. We have complete control over the way these chords are played back to us as there are many presets available, such as chords only, soft roads, etc. We can turn instruments on or off or even create our own accompaniments. One thing we notice immediately when we click on chords is how Harmony Navigator changes the color of certain chords. This is an extremely helpful feature because the colors provide hints about which chord to move to next. There are many coloring presets we can choose from. Let's listen to a small excerpt from one of the many tutorial videos on the Cognitone site which explains the concept of colorings in more detail. Harmony Navigator features a number of coloring schemes that help you understand the relationship between chords and find changes that perfectly go together. You could pick a preset from this menu or you could enable or disable the individual functions in this menu here, but you should always make sure you turn off those you don't currently need unless you want to see a blend of them, which is quite possible. Okay, the first very basic scheme I want to introduce now is function. Chords bearing a significant function in the current key show up brighter and more saturated than others. Most of the other schemes are dynamic. That is, each box in the palette is tinted differently depending on its relationship to the currently playing chord. This means all the colors constantly change while you play. Let's have a look at this one. Subtriads. This scheme highlights the chords which are part of or included with the currently playing chord. You will see even more of these relationships if you reset the filter. This will show more chord extensions in the palette. And while you surf, you will quickly notice that almost every chord consists of a number of subtriads which you can use for your music. There is another scheme named subsets. This scheme uses different shades of color to indicate how many notes a particular chord in the palette has in common with the currently playing chord. A dark box proposes a change where many notes are shared and thus can be sustained which leads to a very subtle movement. On the other hand, a bright box leads to a chord that introduces many new notes, resulting in a much more noticeable progression with more contrast. The fragility scheme does something very similar but is a bit easier to use. The bright path 
indicates strong progressions, which are nice for a chorus, while the dark path creates a weak progression, which is better suited for a verse. This is weak, and now this is more strong. The last scheme I want to show now is the continuation scheme. The green color suggests chords to play next, based on the previously played chords. The brighter a chord shows up, the more likely it'll be the next chord. This is great if you got stuck and want to try out several chords to play next. Just go and play your progression up to the point you already got it and then freeze the palette. This will hold the current picture and you can try out the individual suggestions and pick the one you like best. And after you're done, you can unfreeze the palette and simply go on. While navigating through chords, we can add markers to certain chords so we can remember which ones sound more palatable than others. We can also record our chord progressions using the built-in sequencer of Harmony Navigator. After a recording pass, we can edit our chord progressions as much as we like. At this point, it's also possible to enter slash chords or substitute certain chords. When we're content with the result, we can export the chord progression with our current accompaniment as a standard MIDI file. This file can then be opened in our DAW such as Logic Studio or Cubase, so we can use it with our own choice of instruments. Harmony Navigator has tons of great features, way too many to mention in this episode. I find myself playing around with this amazing program for many hours, all the time discovering new ways to experiment with chord progressions. For instance, there's a useful keyboard window which shows you the chord that's currently being played. Alternatively, you can have the keyboard show you all the notes that go well with the current chord. Harmony Navigator also features a catalogue of just about every chord you can imagine. In conclusion, this is a truly amazing program for everyone who wants to create music. It will certainly improve the chord progressions of your songs. At only $99, there's really no excuse to not have so much fun with chord progressions. Check out the many video tutorials on the Cognitone site and be sure to also watch the video of their upcoming product Music Prototyping Studio. If you're looking for a better way to present or collaborate during your conference calls, your solution is simple. Web conferencing with GoToMeeting. During your call, everyone logs on to GoToMeeting.com and your computer screen shows up on their computer screens. GoToMeeting is perfect for sales or product demos, training or real-time collaboration. Plus, you're not charged per minute like other providers. You can meet as often as you want for as long as you need. With GoToMeeting, you can meet with anyone, anywhere, without ever leaving your office. You'll not only save time, but money too. See for yourself. Try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. Just visit GoToMeeting.com forward slash podcast. That's GoToMeeting.com forward slash podcast. Try GoToMeeting today. Spin the record, baby.
garage and bassline essentials from Loopmasters is a cool selection of bubbling bassline synths, two-step swing beats and heavy dance floor pressure ready-made to melt speaker cones and give your productions all the knowledge to master the low end of the audio spectrum. Bassline House, or simply Bassline, is a subgenre of UK garage music that mixes elements of speed garage, 4x4 garage and R&B, and shares characteristics with fellow subgenres dubstep and grime for their emphasis on bass. Garage and Bassline Essentials is a great collection of over 300 acidized wave samples, including basslines, drum loops, synth parts, effects, vocals and steps. This brand new and all original collection of beats, bass lines and sound effects from Loopmasters is a must have for anyone producing garage and bass line. Visit www.loopmasters.com for more information about this fantastic download pack. this episode of Sounds Good, here's a random Logic Studio tip. You can now easily mix stereo signals in binaural, instead of simple panning. The binaural panner is a psychoacoustic processor that is able to simulate arbitrary sound source positions, including up and down information, by means of a standard stereo signal. This emulates human hearing, which is capable of interpreting positional information despite the fact that only two receivers, that's your ears, are used to capture the sound. To enable the binaural panner, check binaural in the menu that opens on your channel strip's output routing. The standard pan control is then replaced by a binaural panner. You can double-click the panner for a nice binaural control, which can be automated too. Here you can choose between planar and spherical panners. Play around with the binaural control to get a feel for the effect. It's best to listen to this on headphones. Depending on the quality of your headphones, you can really get a signal to rotate around your head. Tilt one way or the other, and move towards you and then away from you. Be sure to check out the extended parameters in the binaural window by clicking on the arrow control. If you enjoy this type of post-processing, be sure to read up on the subject in Logic Studio's manual. And that concludes episode 23 of Sounds Good. The music you heard in this episode was created by Podcast Troubadour, who's got a whole lot of songs online at the Podsafe Music Network. You can also listen to his music on his website at podcasttroubadour.com.
I'm Cory Doctorow, and you're listening to a Creative Commons licensed podcast. Some rights reserved. Sounds good.